0: Well, tonight, um, I have changed my message. I went home, and as I was uh, looking over what I had planned on giving, uh, I was impressed, and I hope it's by the Holy Spirit. You'll have to decide that later on yourself, uh, to speak about something else. Because I focused for some reason on my thoughts this afternoon on the two resurrections that we spoke about. And I felt that maybe we need to talk a little bit more about these resurrections and judgments. And so that's what we're going to do this evening. We're going to talk about the the two judgments to come. Of course, there are more judgments, but these two general judgments. Let me ask a question. Have you ever asked or been asked a question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Hmm? Not anymore. You've already grown up, Gillen. Right? Right. I know I have. I've both been asked that and asked others that question as well. But think about it for a moment, because in essence, this question is assuming that you will grow up, and it also assumes that you will be doing something you want to do, or something when you grow up. It also assumes that you have or should have some measure of control on what you will be doing when you grow up. Well, if not, I want to ask you another question. And the question is this. What would you want to be judged for when you die? What would you want to be judged for when you die? Now this question is also based on three assumptions. It assumes that you will die. There could be doubt with that for some of course with the rapture. But generally speaking you will die. Secondly, you will be judged. And thirdly, and this is something we don't normally think about, you can actually determine the nature of your judgment. You can determine the nature of your judgment you have control over your judgment let's look at these three assumptions in turn first you will die Romans chapter 6 verse 23 you know this quite well the wages of sin is death death. Romans 3 23 all of sin that comes short of the glory of God that means all of us will die because the wages of sin is death Romans 5 12 Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread on all because all sinned. Hebrews 9 27, the first part of it. It is appointed unto man once to die. Although there will be a second death, it is only appointed unto man once to die. And we'll see why this has come about. Secondly, not only will you die, you will be judged according to the Word of God. Hebrews 9.27 continues, It is appointed unto man once to die, after this the judgment. Now it's amazing how we normally use this verse to show the certainty of death, when actually in context, it is given to show the certainty of judgment. But of course, as we'll see, they go hand in hand. But it's the certainty of judgment that is emphasized in this particular passage. The same is true true in Acts chapter 17. Verse 31. God has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. Through a man whom He has appointed. The judge has already been appointed. That's Jesus Christ. All judgment has been given into His hand, the Scriptures tell us. I want you to notice this now. A judgment day is a sure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A judgment day is as sure as the resurrection of Christ, and Jesus himself will be the judge. These appointments of death and judgment are co-joined. You cannot have one without the other. One follows the other as sure as Christ's resurrection followed his death. you can't have one without the other in God's plan of salvation but thirdly you can determine the nature of your judgment this is so because there are two different kinds of judgment one for believers and one for unbelievers one of the just and the other of the unjust one before the beamer seat of Christ and the other before the great white right throne also before Christ, because Christ has given unto His hand all judgment. Two kinds of judgment. John five twenty six says, For just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. Notice now. And He gave Him authority to execute judgment, because He is the Son of Man. The judge has already been appointed. And as we saw this morning, the judge is right at the door. Judgment number one is the beamer, the judgment seat for believers. We'll explain this in a few moments. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all, let's all believers, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. No one escapes this judgment, whatever nature it is. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds. Notice now, this is the purpose for the judgment. It is recompense for deeds. His deeds done where? In the body. Right now, while we are on earth. According to what he has done, whether good or bad. We are not saved by works but we will be judged on the basis of our works after we are saved. Romans 14, 10 says, But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Notice, of God now, it doesn't say of Christ. This is a beautiful illustration to show the deity of Christ. You will stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 12, So then each one of us Will give an account of himself to God. Beautiful, beautiful way of demonstrating that Jesus Christ is God. Now, notice this at the beamer, there will be winners. Some are going to cross the finish line as a winner, but there are also going to be losers. And some people are going to cry. How, but it's important to understand for us as believers that this judgment before the Bema is a judgment of the believer's works. It is not a judgment concerning his destiny. Our destiny is fixed before we get before the judgment seat, the bemo. Do you understand that? Our destiny is fixed we'll see that this is also true of the judgment of the unbeliever it is not to determine our destiny is to determine what we're going to get when we get to our destiny first Corinthians 3.10 says according to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder I laid a foundation in the context, it's the foundation of Jesus Christ, the gospel and all of that. I laid a foundation. Another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And as believers, we build on him throughout our life. And When we stand before the beamer, that edifice that we have built by our works, will be evaluated. First Corinthians 3, let's go to verse 12. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, very plain to see. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. Fire is given in the sense of Showing what is real, what is pure, what is true. It is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. The quality, not the quantity. The quality. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, notice now, remains, remains where? On the foundation that was built by Jesus Christ. or oh, who is Jesus Christ? If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as to fire. Now I'm going to tell you this is one of the very difficult truths for me to grasp here. Our person is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, receive no rewards but still be saved. Because that implies that a person could do all kinds of bad things during his life and still be saved. I I have a hard time putting that together. I'll explain that when I go along, and you'll see why. As I said, though, we're not saved by good works, but we will be judged according to our good works because we were created. We were created unto good works. God has foreordained or he predestined certain things for us to do. And that's what we will be judged by, whether we have done the things that God has set out for us to do. I want you to notice in that passage that two extremes are described. No reward and full reward. That's the two sides of the pendulum. No reward, full reward. Loss and gain. Notice, as I said, it is possible for a person to have no rewards, to suffer loss, but still be saved. But only, ha- but only after having gone through the fire of testing, not the fire of punishment. The beamer is not in any sense similar to purgatory, where you have to be cleansed to get into heaven. But still, there's a cleansing that has to be done. And we're going to see... that is done. This fire of testing will test the quality of what you and I have done on earth since we have been saved. This is assumed by the fact that we are then supposed to have, have started building our life upon Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of our salvation. What we do with our life after salvation is called works. Works. And it is, and it will be revealed. The quality to be either wood, hay, or straw—things that the fire will burn up—or things that have been made out of gold, silver, and precious stone—things which are refined by the fire to demonstrate that they're real, they're genuine, they're pure. Look at the diagram. Here, you see that in a diagram fashion. On one side, we have wood, hay, stubble. These are the things that are going to be burnt up, will not be able to stand under the scrutiny of the examination of Judge Jesus Christ. On the other side, gold, silver, precious stones, we have rewards, we have praise. On the other end, no rewards, no reper- no, no no praise. Only shambles of a wasted life. That's the bemo. Our work will be judged in light of our motives. Our motives for doing what we do. It's not what we do as much as why we do it. As I like to use the illustration all of the time, two people could come up here and give money to the Lord's work. They can give the same amount. One will be received, and the other could be rejected because of the motive, the heart. And the judge, Jesus Christ, he searches the heart. He looks for quality. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and discloses the motives of men's hearts. The motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Each man's praise will come from God. Now, don't misinterpret this passage. This does not mean that every believer will be praised by God for something, because we've just seen that there's some who will have no praise, because their works will all be burnt out it's only those whose works undergo the examination, the evaluation of the fire of Jesus Christ, whatever that means, who will be praised. And motives will be put before God, not the outward appearance, not how much we've done, but why have we done it? Let's go on, another point. Some believers will suffer loss and be ashamed at this judgment. Be ashamed at this judgment. This gives us a lot of indication as to where and when this evaluation will take place. 1 John 2 says, verse 28, Dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming, lot of truth packed into this passage. Notice there are only two options: confidence or shame. We'll have confidence before Him, or we'll be ashamed. Not all believers are going to have confidence or boldness at the Bema. Some are going to have shame, apprehension. Secondly, though, there will be disapproval at the Bema. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is one of the most challenging verses for me. Paul says, I want to be sure that I will not be disqualified when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the implication here. After having preached to so many. But then for some reason I've allowed the baser instincts to control my life or direct my life. Paul spent a lot of time explaining this to the Corinthians. Why he was preaching, why he was doing what he was doing why he was living a pure life, and so on. The Apostle Paul in his passage is comparing the Christian life to an Olympian athlete who strives to win a prize. Now the word disqualified here is a Greek word, of course. Adokimos. Adokimos. It means disapproved. Paul uses this positive sense of this word in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And this is what he says in that passage. Be diligent to present yourself approved. Same word. But the A in the Greek is missing in the front of it. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need, what? To be ashamed. See, a workman who is not ashamed knows that he is approved. Now, the word approved here is the word dokimos, without the A. You put the A, you got A, against, no, none. So it means when you put the A in front of this word, it becomes disapproved or not approved. The result is shame. So when you and I stand before the of the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, and our works are not approved, they are rejected. Will experience shame. Now, before I focus on this, I said, How is that possible for a believer to be ashamed when he goes to heaven? Feel bad. I'm going to tell you in a few seconds or minutes why I don't believe we're going to be in heaven when this happens. Let's go on to a third point I want to make. There will also be praise and rewards given by Christ at the Bema. Let me explain the Bema again. The Bema comes from a word in the Greek especially having to do with the Olympics. And actually, it was a raised die, as as something like this. Well, you watched the Olympics, right? When you saw those who won, where did they stand? on the beamer. They were receiving their rewards for their performance. That's what the beamer is. You receive a reward for what you have done. It's not a place where you are condemned or punished. It's where you receive a reward for what you have done. You say, well, well, you see on the dais gold, silver, and bronze. You don't see them before. Where is he or she? Back in the room crying. If I had just pushed a little bit more, I would have gotten the gold, the silver, or the bronze. Are they ashamed? Some of them are, because say I could have done better. I've done better before. That's the same kind of a setup we see here, scenario we see here. There will be praise and rewards given by Christ at the Bema. Now look at the sheet I've given you. And uh, I'm just going to go through this very quickly. Don't try to read the scribble on there. I wrote on it myself because I didn't like the way this is something done by someone else but it's similar to my thinking but I don't like the description of how they've done it. So I put a little words in it myself but now I can't read it because I don't have my glasses. But anyway, just let me describe some of these different rewards that we will be getting. You see down below you have the five crowns, right? We normally talk about these five crowns, are given for different reasons. We have the imperishable crown, awarded for striving for mastery over our lives. That's what it should be, really here. This is the master, this really should be the mastery crown, because Paul talks about keeping himself under, and so on. Then you have the crown of life, awarded to those who are faithful unto death, the Martha's crown. Then you have the crown of glory awarded for uh, feeding the flock. This is the pastor's crown, the faithful pastor, the crown of righteousness, the crown of rejoicing. All of these crowns are given here for the different points. But also in the book of Revelation, we have privileges that would be given to the overcomers. And you go to all of the churches, Ephesus, Myrna, <coughs> Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and so on. You'll see different privileges being given. Uh, and that's a result also of our works, what we do. Our faithfulness. Our truth, 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 uh, stand for the word of God, and so on. Uh, we don't have time to go through all of them, but I'm just trying to say that at the Bema, that's when these things will be rewarded for us. Some will suffer loss. Some will earn rewards. And is listed for us in the Scriptures. And I believe it's good for us to think about them at times. I won't go through that in detail, as I said, because I can't see. But now, in addition to these privileges and these crowns, the Scripture says there will also be varied positions of responsibility given to our ruling with Christ during the millennium. Jesus himself talks about some of these things. And perhaps we will also be given the privilege of ruling over angels in the eternal state. It all depends on how we utilize what God has given to us. Jesus himself is the one who focused on this more than anyone else in the scriptures. God has given us gifts, abilities, talents. And he wants us to get returns on that. The maximum returns. The maximum returns. That's why it's the principle of my own life. I try to be in a position in a ministry where I can maximize the gifts that God has given me. If I'm in a position where I cannot maximize those gifts, then I'm in the wrong position. Because why? The principle is I am to get returns for God, for Christ, from the gifts and abilities has given. So all of these things are recorded in Scripture concerning what will happen before the Bema and what will be distributed to those who are faithful. But the bottom line in, in all of this is that these rewards will be based on faithfulness to Jesus Christ by living a holy life in conforming to His Word and investing the gifts, the abilities, and resources that He has entrusted us with for His glory rather than ours. Everything that we've done for ourselves in any ministry this hay wouldn't stubble, they can be burned up. And you could have been coming, you could attend every meeting in a warner or a choir or Sunday school, whatever it is. But if you're only doing it for some personal reason, hay wouldn't stubble. <laughs> burned up. Paul gives us the bottom line principle for our life in Second Corinthians five fourteen, and this will determine quite a bit what it is that we will get at the redeemer at the, at the Bemo, 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 14 for the love of Christ controls us having concluded this that one died for all therefore all died and he died for all why? so that they who live that's you and me might no longer live for themselves did you see that? no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Our life is to be consumed with glorifying Jesus Christ in our lives. Everything that we do, our life should be an offering to God. Everything. I think one of the biggest mistakes we've made to try to separate the holy from what we call the profane, the secular from the holy. For the believer... Every aspect of life is holy, and we are to be glorified. I remember one of the, the, one, of, one of the most awful experiences I've ever had, this is like a slap in the face, is one an elder that I appreciated and I loved so much, he came, got into a problem situation concerning his work. And the met with him to confront him with this sin. He got up and he walked out, and as he walked out, you know what he said? My business has nothing to do with my church life. That's an elder. My business has nothing to do with my church life. That's the man that I looked up to, that I respected. If it's one time I felt like turning away from the faith, it was then, because he crushed me by saying those words. No, so everything that we do, should be regarded as something we're offering to Jesus Christ. Everything. Notice again, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who have died and rose again on their behalf. And I try to drill this like Paul into my life every day, all the time. And as I've told you before, before my feet touch the ground every morning I get up, I say to him, the on God, I present the members of my body as instruments of righteousness. Let me glorify you in all that I do. That's what Paul tried to do. That's why he beat himself black and blue, he said. It was a struggle to do it. But that's what living sacrifices do. They don't try to get off the altar. They do everything they possibly can to tighten the bonds on that altar. The beamer then is going to determine whether we lived our redeemed life for Christ or for ourselves. It's as simple as that. To determine this, every thought, every word and action will be tested by the fire of God's divine judgment or evaluation. We will be tested to see if we run according to the rules. Those who do will receive a reward. Those who don't, won't receive a reward. In fact, it appears that they will receive a penalty for not doing so. Shame. Now I don't want to take away, Anna, you want to say something? I don't want to take away now from the privilege and the beauty of the bima by focusing on this being a time when some will be shame, And I'll show you how we work this out in a moment. Because the Bema is going to be one of the most beautiful experiences a Christian can ever experience. It should be looked forward to with hope and joy and expectancy. If we cannot look forward to that, in that with that attitude now, that means we're not living the way we should live. That's all it means. If you're not looking forward to stand on that beam and be examined by Jesus Christ, then something is wrong with your life right now and you should get it right. simple as that. Now, frankly, I just can't tell you how Jesus is going to pull all this off. How He's going to have all of us stand before Him. He's going to look into our hearts, our minds, everything else. I don't know how He's going to pull that off. I know they got some real. Today, they got some huge. Uh, what do you call it, Nathan? But you keep all the computer stuff in. What do you call it? Huh? Uh, service. But you keep the, all of the information in. Hard drive. Hard drives. They got some huge ones now. But the one in heaven. You can't even imagine. And listen, talk about speed, just like that, just like that. And he's going to be able to go through all of our lives, all of our actions, all of our thoughts, and he's going to bring it up. And somehow we're going to face that instantaneously and understand it completely. How's he going to pull that off? I don't know. But listen, he's God. And he will do it. How is he going to reward and personalize at the same time and the same place while still recognizing both recipients as bona fide participants? In other words, looking at those who deserve and those who don't deserve. The beamer is not, I say again, however, to determine our eternal destiny but our eternal rewards and is going to take Scrutiny to bring it about. It is true that when an athlete loses a race and fails to get a medal, that he or she may feel somewhat dejected and perhaps even depressed. But that doesn't mean that he or she will be sad for the rest of their life, only for that moment. Some say that's what will happen at the Bema for Christians. Those who fail to get reward will feel somewhat Disappointed at first, but will accept it well, well, that's how the cookie crumbles attitude and to go on and try again. That's how athletes do on earth. Okay, I flubbed this time, but I'm going to have another chance. That's not going to happen at the bimbo. You're not going to have another chance, to put it right. There will be no next time The Bema is the end of the final race for believers. It will determine what we will benefit from in the millennium as well in eternity. That's it. Now this poses the question as to whether or not we will experience the shame and loss in heaven. Because the Bible says that he's going to wipe away all tears. Isn't that right? But you see, I don't believe that the Bema will take place in heaven. Some think it will be in heaven following the rapture. Well, now while I believe that it will take place almost immediately after the rapture, I do not believe it will take place in heaven or in our Father's house. I believe it will take place somewhere in the heavenlies or in the air, just prior to the entering the home Jesus has been building for us for 2,000 years. I believe it's going to be outside that house, not inside. I also believe that this will be the time when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, zi- that moment. The last opportunity we can have a tear is before the beam of seed. Then He's going to wipe them away. No more tears. It's finished, it's done away with. God will wipe away. Every tear. I believe now this is just speculation. Right after we've gone through the fires of the bemo, tears are gone. All regret vanished. We will rejoice with whatever we get from him. Even those who get nothing will rejoice. Because that's what heaven is going to be all about. But there's a second judgment also that we must look at. It's the judgment of unbelievers before the great white throne judgment. What a great white throne. Great white throne. Here's how Jesus revealed it to the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. This is what he says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them can't get away from this one. Now this judgment, all are losers. There are no winners here at all. They're all losers. John goes on, he says, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead would judge from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. This is the unsaved dead. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they would judge every one of them according to their deeds. They're going to be judged according to the works the same way the believers will be judged. Their death, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. These are terrible words. And for us who have family members who are unsaved, these are awful words. And they should spur us on to share the gospel. These are not good things to preach about but the essential. The book of life contains the name of all those who have ever been born, I believe, minus those who died rejecting God out of their lives. The book of life. The Lamb's book of life, however, is a record of all those who have placed faith in Jesus as the Lamb of God who came to take away their sin. It is Jesus' book of life. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? His word will also be a standard of our judgment. Here's what John says in John 12, verse 47. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Notice now. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings, my word, has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him in the last day this book right here contains that book he's talking about the words how well do you know it how well do you obey what you do know this is the book this is the standard we don't have to be caught off guard God has told us he's revealed to us exactly how he's gonna judge us all the rules are laid out none of us will ever be able to stand before him and say, I didn't know. Here's the point. You can choose to escape this great white throne judgment, which leads to the lake of fire. You won't have to stand there. You've got a choice right now. You've got a choice to stand not before the great white throne judgment but the bema that gives you a place in glory John 3 16 is very clear on this simple for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life see you have a choice you don't have to stand before the great white throne judgment you have a choice For God did not send the Son into the world who judged the world, but that the world might be saved through him. If you were judged at the judgment seat, it's because you chose to be judged there. He who believes in me is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's why we say that these judgments, either the beamer or the great white throne judgment, does not determine our destiny. It determines our reward. Our destiny is determined right here. We can make a choice. You can avoid, you can avoid shame in the beamer, and you can avoid standing before the great white throne judgment. Listen what John says in first John chapter 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. That's a beautiful statement. That It causes you to dig into the Word, find out more. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. We will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. This gives me an idea that it will be impossible for a person who is not already transformed into the likeness of Christ to be able to stand before Him and see Him as He is in His glory. We've got to be transformed. Because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. How can we escape being shamed, ashamed at the beamer? By living a pure life, a holy life. Be holy even as I am holy. Holiness of life guarantees us that we will not be ashamed at the beamer. We need to live with the conviction that Jesus could come at any moment. Any moment. This is a guarantee for us as believers not to be ashamed. And so I say to you, please choose to escape the great white throne judgment by accepting Christ as your Savior. Then prepare for the beamer of Christ by living as though he will come at any moment. That's the two judgments. You can determine which one. As always, sila, think and act on these things.